360 degrees. High high 360 degrees. High high 306. 306. 360 degrees. Welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by apprentices of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program here at KPFA. On tonight's show, we have in the studio with us a group of talented and dynamic women who use their talent to educate, inspire, and motivate people into self-discovery, reaffirmation, and activism. They're Awele Makiba, Denise Solis, Julia Cepeda, and Eva Grisanti. Awele Makiba, an award-winning and international known storyteller, teaching artists, artists for social change, and a literacy specialist who researches, writes, and performs hidden African-American history, folklore, and personal tales. Denise Solis and her partner in crime, Julia Cepeda, Denise and Julia are um, co-directors and co-teachers of Taller Bombalele. Eva Crisante, a writer and illustrator whose work has been published in The New Yorker. She is currently at work on a graphic novel about physician Howard Levy, whose celebrated Vietnam-era court-martial ignited the GI anti-war movement. That's tonight on Full Circle. We are your hosts. I'm Silvia Torres. And I'm Audio Desperado Ephraim Colbert. Stay with us. Good evening, everyone, and welcome again to Full Circle. In the United States, we celebrate Women's International Month in March. And to, and to continue our celebration, uh, we are going to be talking about the contributions of a group of women um, into the events in history and contemporary society. Today we have a panel of extraordinary women who are making a mark in their communities and in society. They are artists, educators, promoters of their culture, and activists. Welcome to our show, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's start by going around the room and getting a little bit of introduction from everyone and have them tell us what is their art medium and what inspired each of them to get into that field. I'm Awele and I'm a storyteller and my inspiration has come from various sources. Uh, my first source being my family. My parents and um, grandparents, great-grandparents came from Mississippi, so I'm a granddaughter of Mississippi. Um, my grandmother Ruth and my big mama Alice told lots of stories, and those stories were holding on to our history as a family, the retelling of my own stories, but also making um, ever-present the story of African Americans and the journey of Africa to here in the United States. Um, should I stop there? Um, sure. Eva? 
I'm Eva Crisanti, and I'm a writer and illustrator. I am inspired by so many things. Uh, my parents uh, both did a lot of drawings for us when we were young. They loved telling stories. Uh, and I think probably um, the turning point for me was uh, seeing Ronald Searle's book of war drawings uh, that he did while he was a POW. And it made me realize that in the most desperate of circumstances, you can always communicate um, vital information, even in the absence of real technology. So with uh, some charcoal and some paper, he was able to give us a real picture of uh, what uh, different prisoners were, were, were doing. He did it at great risk of his life, but um, he did it, and it's, uh, he went on to make some very funny books. Some of the, And so he obviously was able to, um, to get through that, uh, that bad period and, and write some of the funnier things I've ever, I've ever read, uh, funnier drawings, but it's, there's so many different things to be inspired by and I think just just the fact that you can you can make something so simply is one of them and uh, what about you Denise yes good evening my name is Denise Solis and um, for the last I would say about 15 years I've um, had the privilege of being a practitioner of bomba the bomba tradition um, from Puerto Rico um, a daughter of immigrants um, so I would have to say my inspiration uh, my inspirations are my grandmother and my mother, very strong women who came to this country in search of a better life for their families. And so that's always been inspiring for me in both my work. I'm also a union organizer. Um, I'm an elected leader for SEIU United Service Workers West. So I've spent a lot of my years um, organizing um, workers in low-wage jobs and also um, have, you know, been privileged to be able to learn bomba and Really, the way that complements my work is, um, you know, I think for me, something that's um, always been an inspiration and, you know, which continues to give me life and give me hope, especially in these dark times. Thank you. Julia. Buenas noches a todos nuestros radio, radio oyentes. Uh, mi nombre es Julia Cepeda. Eh, para mí, lo que ha sido mi inspiración en, en, en ambas facetas, como bailadora de bomba, soy practicante de nuestras tradiciones por 35 años eh, y también soy trabajadora social clínica. Uh, pues, ¿cómo se complementan ambos y cuáles han sido mis inspiraciones? Mis abuelos. Uh, eh, formar parte de una familia que tiene tanta tradición, siete generaciones eh, practicando y lo que es el sacrificio de llevar la cultura y la tradición eh, eh, sin ninguna remuneración, pues es, es, es un poco, eh, siempre ha sido como una inspiración para mí tener ese ejemplo. Eh, y, y mis abuelos, mis padres, eh, tener un padre que, que lo he visto también sacrificarse por, por el género, que, que ha sido artesano, que ha trabajado tanto y ha, ha, ha contribuido muchísimo con la comunidad, pues para mí ha sido un gran ejemplo a seguir. Julia has uh, Julia Cepeda says good evening to all listeners and you know she has been a practitioner of bomba for 35 years her whole life uh, basically and also um, is a social worker um, you know by day and said for her her greatest inspiration are her grandparents um, who um, she she comes from a long line of uh, bomba practitioners who have carried this tradition for seven generations and seeing how her grandparents um, really 
did everything they could to mo uh, promote this culture. And this is black music from Puerto Rico. And this is also, you know, music that has been for many years marginalized because of the communities in which it was born um, coming out of the, you know, um, slave tradition. So um, she is um, also very inspired very much by her father, um, who has been a cultural worker his whole life. And in this um, work, you don't get paid very well. And sometimes you don't get paid at all. And so seeing how how her grandparents and her father have dedicated their lives uh, to moving forward this uh, tradition which has uh, roots in, 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 cult, in, in resistance has been a great inspiration for her. Well, thank you, ladies. Can I add one more thing that I didn't say? Sure. So um, the first inspiration that I shared coming from my family, especially my grandma Ruth, my big mama Alice, and the importance of stories, their stories fed my soul. But I was also influenced by Toni Morrison and the importance of making visible the invisible. Um, I was influenced by um, Facing History in Ourselves, which does work in schools internationally, and more so um, a framework of thinking about identity, our chosen and our imposed identities, about membership in society, looking at issues around race and violence in America, and participatory citizenship, so that activism piece. Um, and I think the last person that I would like to mention in regards to um, influence, um, Anna DeVere Smith, very early on when she had her institute at Harvard and Benny Sato Ambush, uh, who's a mentor of mine, was working with her, um, the notion of art and civic action, how do we use art to come together to talk about controversial issues and to educate, to create an awareness, but also a call to action. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Denise, you did speak a little bit on the bomba being a traditional um, black Puerto Rican music, dating itself uh, pretty far back, as far back as uh, slavery. Um, I was wondering, did you face any challenges personally with playing bomba music from the public? Or is there... Um, Thank you for the question. I would love to answer it, but I'm actually going to um, have Julia answer it because I think Julia um, has actually, as an Afro-Latina, mm -hmm. can speak to that better. Excellent. Great. So well, I'm going <laughs> to pa pass it on to Julia, and, and I'll translate for her. Sure. Yo creo que una de las, una de la, de, de las, eh, Uh, facing de, de los problemas que están surgiendo en el género es que esto uh, la música de la bomba precisamente eh, se, util, se utilizó siempre el tambor para eh, eh, nació y se utilizó para la comunicación eh, y conspirar verdad entonces en estos momentos es muy difícil ahora tratarlo de hacer en comunidad como nació y, y una de las situaciones que tenemos es, es que no queremos que esto sea eh, porque queremos uh, se me olvida la palabra no, no, esto es algo que se hace en comunidad, que nació en familia como, como se mantuvo en la mía por muchas generaciones entonces una de las situaciones que, que tenemos, uno de los problemas que es que se, se quiere que siempre quiere alguien sobresalir en, en la música y esto es 
eh, protagonismos. Esa es la palabra que estaba buscando. <risa> y, y creo que eso debe quedar fuera porque la bomba ha sido un género muy importante para nosotros como familia. Ha sido algo que se ha defendido, eh, ha sido parte de... de eh, que ha sobrevivido eh, en una guerra, ¿no? Siempre se ha utilizado el tambor eh, para comunicarnos y no creo que debe haber protagonismo. Están surgiendo muchos grupos nuevos con la visión de, de querer ser protagonistas, estrellas, y hay, hay muchos problemas con eso. Y la pregunta más precisa, Julia, era que... que... Como siendo música negra, si has ha habido instancias donde han visto algún tipo de, de algo contra ustedes como haciendo ese tipo de música. Claro que sí. Hubo un momento que nosotros tuvimos un, un show en, en, en un hotel importante en, el, en, una, en un área en el condado y, por ejemplo, no teníamos que entrar por el área de la cocina. Eh, no nos permitían entrar por la entrada general del hotel. Eh, y en un momento dado, eh, también había persecución por hacer bombas. Y se rompían los tambores, ¿verdad? Pero eso era historia que nos contaba mi papá. Pero yo viví la experiencia de tener que entrar por la cocina con los tambores y los trajes, porque no se nos permitía entrar por la entrada principal del hotel. So let me just translate really quickly the, 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 question, the direct answer to, to your question was um, being that this was music that came out of um, that, you know, painful history of, of, of slavery um, that the drum since early on was used as a way of resistance as a way to communicate um, for folks who were far away from their land and that she was told by her parents and her grandparents how in throughout history in Puerto Rico um, bomba was even outlawed it was against the law to have drums and if they had drums they, they would be confiscated um, even up till contemporary times her own experience has been she remembers as a child going to perform bomba at a at a fancy hotel in Condado in an area of a lot of tourism in Puerto Rico and her and her family having to walk in through the kitchen. They weren't allowed to walk in through the front, through the main entrance uh, for their performance. So uh, definitely have has felt some of that um, given that this is um, music of a marginalized community, um, Black Latinos in Puerto Rico. Um, Denise, um, yo sé que tú uh, pasaste la pregunta que te hizo a ti, uh -huh. pero yo te quisiera hacer una pregunta porque tú no creciste en Puerto Rico, uh -huh. no, con, no creciste con la música. Uh -huh. ¿Se te hizo fácil o difícil abrirte campo en este field? Um, I'm just asking Denise because Denise did not grow up with the bomba. She's actually from... Uh, I'm from Texas of Mexican descent. Of Mexican descent. So this was something new to her. And I was just asking her, was it difficult for her to open her of herself in this field to be successful and move on so i i would say um yes i think that for someone who's not uh puerto rican i think one there's it, it's important to have a, a level of awareness uh, a level of awareness and understanding of the history of this cultural tradition, especially because it's rooted in resistance. Um, and I would say I was fortunate to be um, taught by people who were very open. Um, I would say Julia's family, the Cepeda family, along with a lot of other elders in the tradition, um, very much wanted to continue. And so I think when, when, when When folks are open and um, willing to learn in a humbleness and not forget 
the roots of where this came from, I think then um, you're given um, opportunities to, to learn. So I would say that for me, it's, it's definitely been uh, discipline and making sure that I never forget the history and I always remember um, where this came from. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yes. Um, so we are going to take a really quick music break, but when we get back, we're going to hear more from uh, Denise Julia as well as Awele and Eva. Please keep your dial locked on 94.1 KPFA. Don't go away. Full Circle, here 94.1 KPFA, right here at the Pacifica Mothership in Berkeley. Denise, was that a surprise for you? <laughs> yes, that was a surprise. I was uh, very delighted to hear that. That um, was a performance we did, I believe, two years ago here at KPFA for International Women's um, Day or Month uh, with Las Bomberas de la Bahia. And isn't that a coincidence that you're here today celebrating with us again International Women's Month? Absolutely, yes. And that song in particular is talking about a dancer whose husband did not let her go dance because she was a great dancer. And so the singer is saying, Cuidame a Belén, like, please take care of Belén and let her be able to dance because she's such an amazing dancer. And for those of you just tuning in, we have uh, Denise, Julia, Aurelia, and Eva in the studio with us. We are talking on the topic of challenges that they may have faced in their art artistry. So we're going to move on with asking this question to Ava and then also Aurelia, please, if you would follow. Well, the, uh, the art of the comic book, like the art of graffiti, has always been a marginalized art um, 
I have to say that it's it's enjoying a, a real flourishing right now, and it's getting acclaim that it never had before, thanks to a lot of people who who have been doing this for decades. So um, it's it's kind of an exciting time to be doing this. I I I couldn't speak um, to you know. There are so many people um, doing small zines and and just and just pursuing it without caring about you know and being able to do this freely while we still have a democracy i think is one of the most important things we can focus on mm-hmm. and really uh any challenges that you might have faced in the storytelling world so challenges that i faced and conquered um i worked as a storyteller and very much inspired i started off as a school teacher at the k-1 level and um, using story, the power of story, and to bring history to life, to motivate kids to read, uh, to teach character education. And uh, soon I was getting requests that went beyond uh, being available for the weekend. And I was given a gift of a book, The Artist's Way, by a friend um, who had come from Ghana here to study at ACT. And... After the fourth chapter of that book and the commitment to do the things that we were asked to do, about four things while you read the book, one chapter a week, it was very clear I needed to quit my um, day job. And I was terrified. And my grandmother said, are you crazy? You're good benefits? And um, But I did. It was so apparent um, based on the stream of conscious journal that I kept. And that was October 5th, 1998. And I knew that January 1, I would work full time. But I didn't know how, um, you know, for gigs, finding the gigs, right, to sustain you. And I just knew that I would take any gig that came along as I built a repertoire. And um, I needed to find an agent. And um, and dream, wishing, dreaming, um, put together a PR packet, sent it to three people, one of which uh, called and said, you know, let's go to a presenting conference. And I went to New York, had never heard of a presenting conference. But that opened the door. He said, no one's ever heard of you. We'll be lucky if someone comes. They may want to watch the career, um, but we'll see. And um, it was the blessing of a lifetime. The Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts came and the Peace Center for the Performing Arts in um, South Carolina. And the rest was history. So I opened up at the Kennedy Center in 2000 and others um, kind of sight unseen became very interested. Mm -hmm. So that problem was solved, but we are now at a time where funding has dried up. So a new problem occurs. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be a good segue to a question that Sylvia would have. Um, Well, I was going to, I would like to know, Awele, you know, you have a very broad audience and um, I know that uh, some of the topics that you present to the audience sometimes are very challenging. Mm-hmm. How do you work with that? How do you work with people's uh, um, biases, either um, sexual or racial, class? All those issues that are so delicate, but mm-hmm. some you so finely are able to work and present them to people mm-hmm. without they feeling under attack or marginalized. Mm-hmm. I think it's the power of art and civic dialogue that it's it's um, I think easier and more powerful to use art as a framework to 
look at racism or to look at any ism, when we begin to personalize and to see the humanity of others and, um, and when we begin to question otherness um, and belonging, um, that people have, for instance, one of the works, uh, inspirational source for me was uh, Claudette Calvin. And uh, March 2nd, 1955, she was arrested. And she was the first in Montgomery, Alabama, um, prior to Rosa Parks' arrest that many people had not heard about. And to tell her story about the women in Montgomery, Alabama, the role of teenagers, uh, you have to put violence uh, on the on the um, on the table, and so I had to characterize the level of day-to-day violence that blacks, African Americans, were up against in regards to the bombings that happened, in regards to rape that happened that did not get discussed, in regards to men who would disappear or come up lynched or buried and earthed, and. Um, by taking the story, and uh, another inspiration, I should say, is Sam Weinberg, his work out of Stanford and historical thinking. It's how do we take as many perspectives as possible to get closer to a truth? So I try to find all these pathways of various stories that give us a broader picture of what is this historical moment about. And in many cases, people who think this is a history very familiar to me now realize, wow, there's a lot I don't know. And if I don't know that, what else might I not know and I need to examine about myself, what has informed me, how I've made belief systems and begun to respond to things. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. And... Your work, Ava, also deals with the civil rights era. How do you use print to bring an awareness to that? And within your print and your talents and your skills, how are you sharing that story and maybe using it to organize or create consciousness around these issues? What I'm working on right now is a graphic novel about Howard Levy, who was the second physician court-martialed during the Vietnam era. And this court-martial was very important historically. It was uh, the first time the Nuremberg defense was used in U.S. courts, and it was uh, it was the correct usage of the Nuremberg defense. Uh, it, was, it was also, his court-martial was also the event that kicked off the GI anti-war movement, uh, which was ultimately uh, what what coalesced into the overall anti-war movement that, that brought an end to the Vietnam War. Um, Howard Levy was, uh, was actually court-martialed not because he had done anything wrong, but he was court-martialed because he had been involved in civil rights activity um, on base. He was a, a dermatologist from Brooklyn um, who had, like all the other physicians, been uh, drafted under the Berry Plan during the Vietnam War. And he'd uh, gone to Fort Jackson with the express intent to become involved in civil rights. He was very anti-war. He was very open about his opinions. Um, He was very well loved on base by soldiers. Um, He was a very caring physician um, and he was funny as anything. He (laughs) he had a great sense of humor. So um, using using Howard's sense of humor, I think, is important to getting the message out and and, uh, letting people know that it's okay 
to stand up um, for what you believe in and for what's right, to stand against other people having their rights taken away, and um, to keep people informed. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm trying to do with this particular project. Thank you so much. Sure. Okay, well, now this goes to Denise and Julia. Um, Denise and Julia, I know that we're going through some very challenging times in, our, in the history of this nation, but also in the history of Puerto Rico. There's a lot of issues that are going on. And I know that you guys have tied to Puerto Rico and you guys are working with the uh, political situation that is going in, in Puerto Rico. In these chaotic times, where do you guys... Find your inspiration, and how do you work against uh, the feeling the, that is happening right now? These these moments that are so controversial and so um, like setting the clock back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would I would say you know in a time where you know we're fortunate to be here um, speaking to listeners of KPFA in an era where the NEA has been cut, where there, you know, there's, um, we're facing a time where there's zero funding for public broadcasting, um, where immigrants are under attack, um, trans people are under attack. Um, a lot of, there's, there needs to be a lot of intersectional, um, collaboration and, um, we have to look for how, what brings us together and thinking about what's happening in, Puerto Rico with the economic situation that was brought brought upon Puerto Rico by colonization. Um, I think that one, there's a lot of movements of younger folks who are wanting to use music as an outlet and as a way to unite and bring people together. Um, social change has always had arts attached to it when it's been most effective. Um, and I, I would say it's because it brings um, voice to marginalized community and it brings back our humanity by sharing our stories in Bomba the songs tell stories and depending on what song it is the stories are told you know we we learn history um, through those stories we learn of people who who rebelled um, Bomba was used not only to communicate, but to call up, to use as a call to action. And right now in Puerto Rico, um, both bomba and another genre, plena, are being used to call to action, uh, to bring people together to protest, to protest and have fun uh, while you're doing it, and to and to learn about history because it keeps repeating itself. We we don't seem to learn um, our you know um, from the atrocities that keep happening. So I would say um, what gives us hope is right after. Um, the elections and then we had the women's march that was just so amazing our class filled up we had um, a community of people who were coming and looking for something to give them hope and uh, I'm going to pass it on now to Julia um, because she um, used this really amazing exercise to bring people to why they're here and before you pass it to Julia I just wanted to add that you're so right because art is a form of bringing a message That could be very threatening, that could be very very intimidating, and people can feel alienated if it's not brought up in an artistic way, the way you guys do it. Thank you. Julia. Julia, la pregunta, ¿verdad?, es cómo nosotros, ¿verdad?, eh, tenemos esperanza en estos tiempos y cómo hemos utilizado la bomba, ¿verdad?, para darle vida a esta resistencia del momento aquí en Puerto Rico. 
la bomba es un arte que se ha utilizado no solamente para conspirar, sino que ha servido grandemente de sanación. Y yo siempre he creído que el tambor es mágico, que tiene ese, ese poder de unir una sociedad como lo está haciendo hasta ahora. Hemos utilizado para el tambor para crear, seguir continuar creando comunidad, eh, como dice de, Denise, para hacer un llamado. Eh, y para mí es muy importante, eh, no solamente que vengan a bailar y a disfrutar, sino que la comunidad entera tenga parte de lo que es la historia, del fundamento, el propósito, el objetivo del por qué estamos ahí. Y yo creo que eh, nos hemos conectado, por eso la gente y la comunidad sigue llegando, porque necesitamos eh, este sentido de aliento, necesitamos ese, ese, esa, esa sanación, necesitamos tener esa inspiración, ¿no? Para mí eso es mágico. Julia says that, um, you know, Bomba was used to both conspire and, and call to action in historical context and to heal. Um, and that the drum is magical. It, it communicates, but it helps our souls heal. Um, and she said, you know, um, what we try to do is um, to build community. So she wants students to not only learn the mechanics of dancing and drumming and having a good time, but I think we really bring to the you know pedagogy of learning in our class the sense of community uh, it's not about one person it's about how we're coming together and healing ourselves and um, doing a call to action but also almost some sort of a spiritual kind of connection to each other and that's what I think she f feels is so uh, magical about uh, the drum and and this tradition Thank you so much for sharing that with us. For those of you who are just tuning in now, we have a very special panelist of women artists involved in music, drawing, print, storytelling, as well as spoken word. We're going to be taking a quick music break and we'll return with more.
Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley. You're listening to Las Bomberas de la Bahía, an all-women bomba group from the Bay Area. Denise Solis was the music director of the group. And Denise, I'm pretty sure this was another surprise for you. Can you tell us a little bit about the piece, something about the piece? Sure. This song um, is a, it's a, it's a, a song that's a, it pays homage to Julia's grandfather, Rafael Cepeda, who wrote the original um, song, which was the intro. Miserere um, Congo Misie is actually a lament uh, talking about the misery that um, someone brought over in bondage feels remembering their time uh, in their homeland. And so Ilia Correa, one of our um, Bombera de la Bahia member, who's now also a member of Taer Bombalele, um, composed uh, the second part as an homage to Rafael Cepeda. So the song is saying, Tú lo sabes bien, tocame el cuembe, miserere congo misie. You know very well, I like this song, play the song in cuembe, miserere congo misie. So we thought it was, uh, she was very inspired by the original song, um, and so she wrote that for La Familia Cepeda. And the first song we heard, Mamá Cuidame a Belén, was also is also an original composition by Julia's grandfather, Rafael Cepeda, who is a prolific um, Puerto Rican composer of roots music. Gracias. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing. Uh, and so for those of you who are tuning in, uh, well, we, our guests have been speaking on how they use their different art platforms to not only share their talents and skills, but to also educate, organize, build community and create consciousness, which is something that I believe feel that all of us here, including myself and Sylvia, definitely think is a positive way to bring about change within the world. Um, I'm thinking as we were going through these stories, it reminded me of my involvement with uh, One Million Bones and how we had used clay and the art of clay making to bring awareness to social atrocities. I was wondering if maybe Sylvia had any experiences with um, using art as a way of bringing awareness to her students on, on uh, issues or concerns of social justice. Well, I, as a teacher, I'm a teacher and I work with young children and we kids are magical and they're very creative and they have a lot of talent and it's a talent that is not been explored, has not been developed. So um, sometimes I put some music and some relax, relaxing music, and I have them close their eyes, fly away, have an ex, you know, think about a different world, how can they change the world, and then translate that into either a drawing or a piece of writing. But it's definitely, art is a therapeutic uh, medicine that it heals and brings, brings about the goodness of people. So continuing with our show, we're going to go and now talk about um, if you want to talk about what you're doing right now, any projects that you're involved, future plans. Um, so we're going to start with Awilde. So I uh, teach at Skyline High School. I teach high school drama and I'm very excited um, right now. My students have been invited to perform in Scotland at the American High School Theater Festival, which is a festival inside of Festival Fringe, the largest international arts festival in the world. So we're fundraising and we've raised $20,000. I have 50,000 more to go in 70 days um, for our two-week trip uh, for their performances. Um, 
but I'm also my students. Another influence that we had last year, we took the Warriors Not on Your Ground challenge, and it is a pledge against hate and bigotry and violence and bullying, which is prevalent in schools internationally. I've gone to an international bullying conference and was just amazed at what people are up against. And it has had a really powerful effect because we ended up spending a month on a unit and really trying to understand the dynamics of bullying, the psychological impact, nonverbal, verbal, as well as cyberbullying, which is huge in schools. And so my students generated, we did story circles and stories of conflict from middle school and even in high school. And then they put those stories up on their feet to begin to teach. And they even went, uh, UC Berkeley does a conference for um, middle schoolers as peer leaders to, to teach and to educate um, and to, as a call to action also. Um, but the work that we did with our uh, fall and winter play last year and this year also continued looking at school culture and climate. And in particular, looking at bullying, looking at revenge, looking at the safety of LBGTQ youth. So identity acceptance and safety in particular. We looked at self-harm and cutting, which is also uh, growing numbers of students at the middle school and high school level are um, using that to numb themselves from other bigger issues. And also we looked at mental health and depression, what ha which happens. Um, so we're, we've continued our work from that inspiration and taking this pledge of what can I personally do? And it's continued this year. The Warriors and the Anti-Defamation League have uh, a focus that's looking at what does it mean to be a peaceful warrior? So my students have taken that challenge and to begin to look at themselves and how do I find inner peace? What are the things that I do when... Um, like when I'm called to de-escalate, what tools did I, do I have? How well do I access them? And how well am I showing up and intervening on behalf of others? Am I my brother and sister's keeper? Can I be an ally? What does it mean to interrupt these systems of um, inequality and of hurt and of violence? And even examining our language that we use and the tone of our language, which is a really... Um, it's 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 it requires um, like twenty four seven a level of consciousness that normally we don't have, and um, I think of Deepak Chopra saying um, to observe the response you would like to have, but don't, and now take a breath, breathe, and now what would you do? So. We are. We just created a performance piece, a spoken word piece that they submitted today, and um, I'm excited because students are coming back in every couple of days, sharing reflections and what they're observing and becoming more aware of in their day-to-day -day interactions. That notion of to be the change we want to see. Well, um, well, I was going to tell you. Thank you and. That is something that is so important because we all have to reflect upon our actions and reflect upon self-control that sometimes is the solution to some of the problems that we get involved in. 
Before we move on to the next uh, panelist guest, I did have a brief question for you, Awele. Um, so you, I was a school teacher as well for a while in my home state of New Mexico. Um, we also had messages of peace on the wall. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were really all that impactful on the students, mm-hmm. but I wonder what is what have you noticed from the steps that these students are taking that they are learning in their in their note taking and journaling. Mm-hmm. What has been the impact or that you've noticed from on your student body? Well. So because I have about 150 students that I see on a daily basis, that's where the challenge, that's where I started, like in my own classroom and even personally myself, you know, as an adult, um, sometimes this is looked at as social, emotional learning skills that are always in development from pre-K through adult and they shift. Um, And those skills would be labeled uh, like our self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and then our relationship skills and then making responsible decisions, right? That's one way of clumping it. But I've had students like seniors even to say, you know, Ms. Awele, I have never had to think about this or I did, but I pushed it away. Like if I was feeling um, being attacked or being hurt. And so now it's really watching how do I respond? What can I say? Uh, even when I witness, because we witness a lot of things and sometimes we have not had the practice of what to say to intervene. Um, just today, in fact, in circle, we do restorative justice circles and um, we did a check-in circle and a student shared, um, she was at the Walgreens and she's a really small petite student and a large man um, really bumped into her. She said, I didn't take up a lot of space. I was very close to looking at the product that in there. And it was this really big guy and he didn't even stop to say, excuse me, or so sorry, are you okay? And so students began to respond with possible ways to interact. And some were forms of aggression and others were like, oops, oh, you're excused. And But yet they said, depending on the mindset of the person and not knowing the intention, it may or my, may not um, get what they would hope for. So we then began to talk about, as the students, that different people each day are dealing with different things. And we don't know what someone's day has been, what interactions they've had, what their mental health is, or intentional or unintentional and so given that and if we are working as a peace warrior and if a peace warrior stands for peace and doesn't raise their voice or fist to violence except to protect what might your response be so it's not for me to answer but to grapple and Kind of give them some ideas to think about. Yeah. And Ava, I guess this question would move um, on to you. Uh, projects, things you're working on. Well, um, I want to move forward with the, the Howard Levy book. Um, but because Howard's uh, court-martial was so influential on the rest of the GI anti-war movement, um, the the next 50th anniversary will be in 2018. That will be the Presidio Mutiny, which was the mutiny in San Francisco's Presidio in which uh, 27 men uh, mutinied by sitting down and singing We Shall Overcome on the lawn. And these are just incredibly important historical events that have been largely forgotten. There were 100 
over 100 reporters covering Levy's court-martial. That's how big a deal it was. Many of them were Pulitzer Prize winners. Some of the biggest names in journalism covered Levy's court-martial. It's now been almost forgotten. Uh, so I want to keep working on stories that are uh, forgotten. But I also I have to say that in this political climate, um, one of the things that's really important to me is keeping communication open with people we might normally see as our opponents. The last time I was on KPFA actually was 2009 um, on Chris's show um, during the we were working for the public option. And one of the things that uh, we did, uh, besides occupy Diane Feinstein's lobby for a week, was uh, I went out to Tea Party rallies, and I advocated for the public option, and I advocated for different Obama administration policies um, to people who were dead set against it. And one, and I was warmly embraced. And one of the things I realized is that we had. Um, stop trying to communicate with this group um, of people who used to be part of our democratic momentum. So I want to I want to make sure that um, I keep trying to keep those avenues open because there is a real possibility for communication and uh, and change. Well, Eva, thank you. I think that's a wonderful strategy because sometimes we don't know. Um, how much exposure people has seen the other side and you have to bring the other side so they can see it and see, feel the pain and feel the anguish of the others what they call the others and if you uh, just show up um, you're showing respect to them and that somehow defeats their notion of you as this monstrous other um, just showing up makes a big difference Thank you. And Julia and Denise, uh, what are your plans for the future? What are you involved in right now? And um, sure. what are your plans? If I may, I wanted to start with a quote that was shared by a fellow practitioner, Dr. Luz Rivera, um, that I think really puts into context why this is important. Um, so if you um, forgive me for, I'm going to share a quote um, from the Slave Code of South Carolina, Article 36 and 1740. It is absolutely necessary to the safety of this province that all due care be taken to restrain Negroes from using or keeping of drums, which may call together or give sign or notice to one another of their wicked designs and purposes. And I say that because I think now more than ever, we need to continue to make these calls to action. Um, we've been using BOMBA as a way to um, use our anytime we're on a stage or performing uh to uh wear our t-shirts that say no a la junta fiscal and talk to people what's going on in puerto rico wear t-shirts that say no to the dakota access pipeline and why water is is so important for everyone to have access to um you know we've been going to schools uh, for black history month and talking to students about bomba and the history and the connection of black and latino people mm -hmm. uh, to continue to create black brown unity mm -hmm. to make sure there's a space for that in these times. Um, and so I think what we're doing is one, um, trying to be in spaces where uh, there's calls to action to be there to make music. Uh, um, I'm, I'm also giving a workshop, for example, to union members on drumming first for uh, and chanting for marches so that there's excitement around when we're coming together to protest. And then today, for example, we, we're performing uh, free of charge uh, for donating our time to a, an event called um, Perreo por una causa. 
salsa or reggaeton uh, for social change. And this is a, a lot of uh, young Puerto Rican activists in the community put this party together, one, to challenge the narratives of reggaeton in the community, uh, challenge the anti-gay and mis misogynistic narrative uh, for a good use. And so tonight, for example, they're going to be fundraising uh, for um, an, an organization uh, that does work um, uh, for immigrants. So advi ad um, advancing the rights of, of immigrants, uh, social justice collaborative. So um, that's this month's beneficiary and every month they're going to have one. So we're part of that um, um, event tonight at the Legionnaire. It starts at 10 a.m. and I mean at 10 p.m. And all the proceeds are going to go to um, social justice collaborative, which is doing a lot of work for immigrant families in the community. So every month there'll be a different beneficiary, both in Puerto Rico and locally. I think they're going to be switching. So that's just one example of the work we're doing. And I think continuing to um, have our classes be taught and led in a way that's building community and being accessible to community organizations that are fundraising or, um, act, you know, there's a May 1st call to action um, a day without an immigrant, a day without a worker, um, where all these communities are coming together to shut it, shut it down on May 1st, right? So we want to be part of that. Where can we, what corner can we, you know, set up and do bomba at to give life to, um, to this resistance that needs to continue to grow, build, and, you know, finally not only resist, but overturn uh, this dark time that we're in. Well, Denise, I, I want to thank you because um, in this time, we need to build communities. We need to build bridges. We cannot build walls. We have to bring them down. And music traditionally has been a way of destroying walls and bringing people together. And I remember being in events in which you were there bringing music, bringing people together and making things run smoothly. And Julia, can you give us? Pues, quiero hablar un poco de mi trabajo diario, que es, eh, trabajo con unas chicas maravillosas eh, en el para Translatina, es una comunidad eh, aquí en San Francisco, el programa ya lleva 11 años, es un programa de prevención y de salud para las chicas transgénero latinas. Entonces, soy la manejadora de caso, y para mí poder conectar eh, las cosas que más me apasionan, eh, que es la bomba y, mi, y el trabajo social, para mí es eh, una bendición. Entonces, por ejemplo, nosotros a la, a la marcha de chicas transgénero, la primera vez que se lleva bomba. Así que ellas querían ser las chicas de ELA para Translatina, las bomberas de ELA para Translatina. Y tuve la gracia de que mi papá y mis tíos nos acompañaron a esa marcha. Eh, y caminamos por casi dos horas eh, oh. para mí y eso muy pocas personas lo saben porque casi no lo anunciamos pero fue una bendición que ellos estuvieran conmigo caminando la marcha con las chicas eh, creo mucho en la comunidad creo mucho en el trabajo en equipo eh, y eso es lo que nosotros hacemos básicamente a diario eh, y una de las cosas que pues que amo de la comunidad también es que puedo llevar la bomba como dice Denise, estamos moviéndonos a través de todas las organizaciones eh, llevando música llevando sanación y, y yo creo que para, para nosotros eso es, es muy importante ¿Querías añadir algo Denise? Mm -mm. 
So Julia said, um, spoke a little bit about the work she does uh, as a social worker. She works for a trans um, Latina women organization called Ella para Trans Latinas. And what she did this past year was offer bomba workshops to uh, the trans women of her organization so that at the trans march, um, for the first time, there could be bomba because they wanted to dance bomba. And we were fortunate enough that her dad and her uncles, who are elders in this tradition, which is normally seen as a very um, masculine tradition, um, he, they played. They came and played for the march and there was bomba and they danced. So she said that's um, some of the work she's continuing to do in this marginalized community of bringing together her artistic work and the, the work she does as a social worker and also just followed up by um, also restating that as um, our classes and we want to be available to organizations to support and bring music to uh, any type of resistance or community work that needs to happen. Thank you. So we really are uh, running out of time, so we're going to have to wrap up, unfortunately. If you could just briefly give us the address that you're, the event you're mentioning in 10 seconds. Sure. It's at the Legionnaire 2272 Telegraph Avenue, Oakland, California, 9 p.m., 10 to $20 sliding scale, but no one will be turned away for lack of funds. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank and you. Well, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Tune in next week to Full Circle at 7 p.m. for the next episode. Also be sure to check our web page at kpfaapprentice.org. There you will find pictures, extended interviews, and links. Our executive producer is Ms. M. Our technical director is Free Will and Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. Thank you to David and Kat. Can we also get that address one more time really quick, please? Sure. It's at the Legionnaire Upstairs Lounge, 2272 Telegraph Avenue in Oakland, tonight at 9 p.m. Join us. You heard it there. And we've been your host... I am Silvia Torres. And I'm Mario Desperado with Fram Colbert. Thank you for joining us and tune in for La Onda Baita. That's been Full Circle. Special thanks to Aule Makiba, Denise Solis, Julia Cepeda, and Eva Christian. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.